Vossstrasse, and then north of Wilhelmstrasse, toward the general's final resting place in the Invaliden Cemetery, alongside some real German heroes like von Scharnhorst, Ernst Udet, and Manfred von Richthofen. There was no doubting Heydrich's bravery, his impetuous part-time active service with the Luftwaffe, while most of the top brass stayed safe in their wolf's redoubts and their fur-lined bunkers was the most obvious example of this courage. I suppose Hegel might just have recognized Heydrich's heroism as the incarnation of the spirit of our despotic times, but for my money heroes need to have a working relationship with the gods, not the titan forces of darkness and disorder, especially in Germany. So I wasn't in the least bit sorry to see him dead. Because of Heydrich, I was an officer in the SD, and pressed into the tarnished silver cap badge that was the loathsome symbol of my long acquaintance with Heydrich were the hallmarks of hatred, fear, and after my return from Minsk, guilt, too. That was nine months ago. Mostly I try not to think about it. But as another famous German lunatic once observed, it's hard to look over the edge of the abyss without the abyss looking back into you. Chapter 1. September, 1941. The thought of suicide is a real comfort to me. Sometimes it's the only way I can get through a sleepless night. On such a night and there were plenty of them, I used to dismantle my Walter automatic pistol and meticulously oil the metal jigsaw of pieces. I'd seen too many misfires for the want of a well-oiled gun, and too many suicides gone badly wrong because a bullet entered a man's skull at an acute angle. I would even unload the tiny staircase that was the single stack magazine and polish each bullet lining them up in a rank like neat little brass soldiers before selecting the cleanest and the brightest and the keenest to please to sit on top of the rest. I wanted only the best of them to blast a hole in the wall of the prison cell that was my thick skull, and then bore a tunnel through the grey coils of despond that were my brain. All of this might explain why so many suicides go wrongly reported to the cops. He was just cleaning his gun and it went off, said the dead man's wife. Of course, guns go off all the time, and sometimes they even kill the person holding them. But first, you have to put the cold barrel against your head, the back of the head is best, and pull the damn trigger. Once or twice I even laid a couple of folded bath towels under the pillow on my bed and laid down with the firm intent of actually going through with it. There's a lot of blood that leaks out of a head with even a small hole in it. I would lie there and stare at the suicide note that was written on my best paper, bought in Paris, and placed carefully on the mantelpiece, addressed to no one in particular. No one in particular and I had a pretty close relationship in the late summer of 1941. After a while, sometimes I would go to sleep but the dreams I had were unsuitable for anyone under the age of twenty-one. Probably they were unsuitable for Conrad Veidt or Max Schreck. Once, 
I awoke from such a terrible, vivid, heart-stopping dream that I actually fired my pistol as I sat bolt upright on the bed. The clock in my bedroom, my mother's walnut Vienna wall clock, was never the same again. On other nights I just lay there and waited for the gray light to strengthen at the edge of the dusty curtains and the total emptiness of another day. Courage was no good anymore, nor was being brave. The endless interrogation of my wretched self produced not regret, but only more self-loathing. To all outside eyes, I was the same man I'd always been, Bernie Gunther, criminal commissar from the Alex. And yet, I was merely a blur of who I had been, an imposter, a knot of feelings felt with gritted teeth and a lump in the throat, and an awful, echoing, lonely cavern in the pit of my stomach. But after my return from the Ukraine, it wasn't just me that felt...